Welcome to the It Is Better To Know podcast. This is Anne. I'm Cecilia. And I'm Valerie. This is a podcast where we use our expertise as pharmacists to break down relevant health topics and make them easier for you to understand. Now let's get started. Welcome to the It Is Better To Know podcast, episode 49. It's already been a month. I can't believe it. Time is just flying by. So I am your host for today, Valerie, and joining me are my two wonderful Dynamite co-hosts, Anne and Cecilia. Welcome back, everybody. Hi, everyone. It's Cecilia here. Welcome back to another amazing episode. I wanted to introduce our listeners today to something innocuous that not everyone is actually aware about. So I'm actually nicknaming this cousin to the silent killer, the silent killer being carbon monoxide. I'm assuming we all live in a house or, you know, go to school or are working. So we're always in a building of some sort. We're not really tempting outside and we don't really live in a cave on top of dirt. (laughs) If you live in a house, you probably monitor for dangers like buying a smoke detector or carbon monoxide detector. But are you even aware of radon? Is it even on your radar? (laughs) Do you know the level of radon gas that's currently in your home right now? Well, you see, the thing is, radon is colorless, is tasteless, and is invisible uh, gas. It is found all over the world in soil and rocks. It's not exactly something you can escape since it can diffuse from soil into your home, finding its way through all the nooks and crannies. Now, it is also the number one cause of lung cancer in non-smokers, and it is largely preventable. So today, we'll have a special guest, Dr. Kelvin Young. He's a medical oncologist from the Cross Cancer Institute, and he's joining us today to give us the medical aspect of radon-induced lung cancer. So we'll cover topics like how much radon exposure it takes to harm you, what type of lung cancer it causes, prognosis, treatment, and what we can do to protect ourselves from radon. Okay, so having said that, I'm going to give an introduction to our special guest speaker today, Dr. Kelvin Young. He had his Bachelor of Science from the University of Toronto. He completed his medical degree at the State University of New York. So uh, lots of people will refer to that as the abbreviation SUNY, Upstate Medical University. I can't really pronounce this word, Syracuse, New York. (laughs) Syracuse. Syracuse, Syracuse. He completed internal medicine at the Yale University through Bridgeport Hospital. Then he subsequently went on to complete a medical oncology residency through Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. And that was also followed up with, with a fellowship at the Princess Margaret Hospital in Toronto. Then he worked as a locum in Toronto and Halifax. Now he's working at the Cross Cancer Institute where he specializes in lung and brain cancer. Hi, everybody. Happy to be here. And it's a SUNY for my university. Yep, no problem. My apologies. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Yes, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. We're very excited to have you here. Glad to be here. All right. So let's start with the basics just to lead off. Um, We'll talk about what exactly radon is. So it's a radioactive gas that forms when uranium in soil and rocks break down. So this is a naturally occurring process. 
And when radon is released from the ground into the outdoor air, it actually gets diluted, so essentially it's harmless. But when radon is trapped in enclosed spaces like homes and buildings, then it can accumulate to high levels, and that can be a serious health risk. Dr. Young, could you expand on the uh, radon and its health risks? Sure. So, yeah, as you guys were saying, uh, radon is radioactive, and that is a carcinogen. Um, so it, it causes cancer. Uh, basically, the uh, radon gas gets into your lungs and starts to uh, uh, decay and releases all these radioactive uh, particles, uh, which releases energy into your cells, damaging the DNA, and therefore uh, uh, developing uh, cancers. Um, the levels of radon are, as you're saying, kind of much higher in enclosed spaces since once it's outside in the outside of homes, it kind of gets diluted. So the concentrations are much, much lower and therefore not much of a concern. I see. So, I mean, before we kind of go further on radon, I want to share with our listener a fascinating story about Stanley Watrous. It's the story of how radon was discovered in homes. Now, before 1984, radon was only thought to be a risk in uranium mines. But in December 1984, a nuclear power plant in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, installed an alarm to see if any employee leaving the site was dangerously radiated. And that year, a new employee, Stanley Watrous, he's a construction engineer, and he set off the alarm. But people get confused because he was not leaving the site. He had just shown up to work from, from his home. And they check and discover lots of radon. And the air in his home was reading 700 times greater than the safe normal human exposure. And that is equivalent to smoking several hundreds packs of cigarettes every day. And we know that radon is also found in cigarettes. So he and his family were talking about 700 times more likely to get lung cancer in the next decade. Now, because of this event, they realized that radon could be harmful in your homes and buildings. So an investigation was undertaken to find out how did this much radon get into his house? This is important because, you know, most of us spend 60 percent or more in a home, and especially last year with most people working from home, significantly increasing their exposure to radon. Wow, that was, that was fascinating. Thanks, Anne, for sharing that story. I also read that studies on uranium miners and residential radon levels show a measurable risk of developing radon at levels commonly found in residential homes. So, Dr. Young, can you tell us who's actually affected by this radon? Who should be paying attention to this? Yep. So. Basically everyone, anyone who has a house anyway or spends any time indoors, so uh, inside your home, inside your workplace, uh, in schools, uh, all of that's uh, a potential risk of uh, being exposed to radon. Okay, wow. So that's really kind of uh, frightening. So I think, um, I guess uh, radon really, it's... Anywhere where there's an opening where the house is in contact with the ground. So I guess some um, places like where there's potentially cracks in the foundation walls and then like the floor slabs, construction joints, gaps around the service pipes, support pipes, window casements, floor drains, some sort of cavities in the walls. Yeah, so basically anything that's connected to the ground or anything mm -hmm. that can link from the soil or the bedrock uh, into your home, those are... Uh, 
risk areas. That's a good summary and a good way to put it. When we were doing our research, we found that the Canadian national limit of radon levels inside a residential home is 200 becquerels per cubic meter. And here's an it is better to know moment for everyone. A becquerel is unit of measure for emissions of radiation per second. Yeah, so non-smokers exposed to radon at the level of 200 becquerel per uh, cubic meters have a 2% lifetime chance of developing lung cancer. And for a smoker, this risk increases to 17%. Yeah, so just a bit of an update on our kind of national limits there. So uh, yeah, in Canada, uh, we've decided that 200 uh, becquerels are uh, kind of our limit for safety, um, but uh, other countries and uh, the WHO has actually adjusted their limit uh, a little while ago, um, moving it down to 100 becquerels. So uh, there's basically no actual safe dosing of uh, radon. It's radioactive, it's ionizing radiation, causes DNA damage at basically any level. It's just uh, what level is uh, high enough that there's something we can do about it and that we deem is safe. So the WHO has decided that it should be at 100, so a lot lower than what we're kind of doing now. Um, so the amount of unsafe homes is actually higher if you consider the WHO limits. That's a very good point. And I feel like potentially after you know hearing you say that about the WHO limit of 100 is, I wonder if Health Canada will someday follow suit. I was talking with someone earlier, um, earlier in the week, actually, um, a radon certified a person to who takes measurements from the home. And they actually said that the level for Health Canada that set the limit, it actually used to be a lot higher, it actually used to be 800 at one point. What? Whoa. Oh, so keep changing, hey? Yeah, yeah. One would yeah. never guess the gas of nobility can be so toxic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good one there. She's making a reference on the periodic table. That's that's very lovely. Yes. Dr. Young, what can you tell us about the prevalence of lung cancer itself in Canada? Yeah. So, yep, uh, lung cancer is actually the most common cause of lung cancer or of cancer death in uh, Canada that outstrips basically all of the others by by a good margin. Uh, the majority are, uh, ca- are is caused by smoking. So uh, depending on what population you're looking at, uh, we're talking like 80-90% of lung cancer deaths are due to smoking. Uh, radon uh, specifically is uh, attributed to about 16% of those lung cancer deaths. So kind of taking our Canadian population, that's uh, about 3,200 people are dying of lung cancer due to radon. Uh, It's kind of the second leading cause of uh, uh, lung cancer in Canada, second just to smoking, of course. Right. And are there maybe different levels of radon depending on where we live in Canada or around the world? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. So uh, Canada actually has one of the highest uh, levels of radon as a country uh, uh, overall. And especially depending on where you live in Canada, it can be higher or lower. Uh, Manitoba actually has the highest rate in Canada. Um, 
using the 200 becquerel kind of cutoff, about uh, 25% of homes in Manitoba actually have a unsafe level of radon and it's also pretty high in Saskatchewan and Alberta here as well. Uh, we're at like 15-ish percent um, and New Brunswick uh, also is pretty high and certain parts in BC kind of near the Rockies are uh, pretty up there too. So um, it's pretty prevalent uh, here in Canada specifically and in uh, a few of those provinces, Manitoba, uh, New Brunswick being bigger ones. As Cecilia said, this is this is frightening to hear about and it something is. that I really feel is not r- something that people commonly know about. Let's discuss where radon actually falls then in line with other common everyday exposures to radiation. Can we find radon anywhere else? Like why why in particular should we be worried about radon compared to other sources of radiation like cell phones or whatnot? Okay. Yeah. So uh, just to start with, uh, radon is basically our highest uh, exposure to uh, radiation that's out there. There's a few other kind of uh, natural exposures. So like cosmic radiation, so just being kind of outside has a low level. Um, being in planes kind of uh, increases that uh, by a small amount. Um, you can get uh, UV radiation from uh, the sun, of course. So, of course, sunscreen is important. But uh, in terms of ionizing radiation, which is the type of radiation that causes uh, DNA damage uh, directly, uh, radon is kind of by far your largest source, like even considering like exposures through like x-rays and CT scans, at least for the average person. Um, you mentioned cell phones, which is a... a very topical uh, and uh, somewhat controversial uh, topic. So uh, main thing to note is that cell phone radiation is not ionizing. So it does not have high enough energy to uh, change a person's DNA. Um, So it is much, much safer. Um, It's basically no higher energy than like your microwave or just your light bulbs. Um, But uh, there actually have been a number of studies, I won't go into it in too much detail, kind of trying to see if there's any risk of uh, cancers, brain tumors specifically uh, with cell phones. And at least the latest uh, meta-analysis actually shows there does seem to be a small link uh, to brain tumors uh, with cell phone use. Uh, Usually it's just the higher end of use, so over a thousand uh, hours uh, of use, uh, which is pretty up there. And they seem to show like a 60% increased risk of brain tumors. And oh my again, gosh. this is, wow. yeah, it's uh, notable anyway. Um, note that the brain tumor risk in general is pretty low for most people. So 60% yeah. isn't that big absolute numbers. And they did have to do a meta analysis of hundreds of thousands uh, of patients in each study. So, how true this is is iffy. The meta-analyses, the individual studies are kind of all over the board, so not definitive as of yet, but uh, worried enough that I'm trying to limit my use. Uh, more texting, more Bluetooth. Oh, are you talking about if we're making telephone calls and holding it against oh. our head? Yes. Yes. Oh, it's, okay. uh, specifically when you're making calls, that's the highest uh, amount of uh, 
uh, radiation uh, right. from oh, the uh, okay. cell phones. So much less when it's just in your pocket. What yeah. if I keep it sort of by my head yeah. at night? Me too. Like a, I was just thinking clock. that, Mallory. I was like, oh my God, should I not do yeah. that anymore? Yeah, I used to do that too. I'm trying used to do to. that class as oh, well. No. Okay, um, I will. Uh... But yeah, it's a lot lower of a risk when it's not actually on. Oh, okay. uh, and to note, these studies were all done kind of back in the earlier days of cell phones when the amount of radiation being uh, EM radiation that's produced were like 10 times higher than they are now. So if there's a 60% increased risk with a thousand hours of use before, like with the current cell phones, might take 10,000 hours or a 6% increased risk. So how much is actually significant is probably uh, not as important uh, now than it may once have been but it's fascinating wow a lot of controversy here with Mm -hmm. it still because no one's going to get rid of cell phones well i was going to order a landline now (laughs) (laughs) if i could get my cell phone i would drive like an hour just to you know go get an hour really interesting yeah if i forget it at work like i would do that drive so i don't think anyone can live with a cell phone nowadays unfortunately Yeah. But this is a good excuse uh, yeah. to tell people not to call you. Just text, right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. just text. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Thank you. That's yeah. very fascinating. Yeah. Oh, uh, one other thing I should mention. Uh, there is a little bit of press about like granite and that having uh, radiation um, uh, radon uh, as well, but. Uh, just to alleviate people's fears, the amount of radiation from uh, any granite that you'd have in your house is exceedingly small. It's like less than like 30, uh, 30 times less than what you'd naturally get just from being in an average house. So mm. I wouldn't uh, worry people too much about having like a granite tabletop. Oh, that's, All right. that's very enlightening. I'll be like, oh my gosh, I have granite everywhere. Yeah, yeah get rid of it, get rid of it. It looks so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's upgrade. Not Thank anymore, guys. I guess. <laughs> but that's good to know. Exceedingly small. And uh, do we have any, any? what about like asbestos? Because we know that there's a lot of homes that were built back then um, that would have used asbestos for pretty much almost everything in the home. So can you comment about that? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, so, uh, yeah, asbestos is uh, not uh, directly uh, radiation, of course, but still a huge risk of cancers, uh, specifically uh, mesothelioma. So how asbestos kind of works is it's a very kind of fibrous uh, type mineral. mineral. It's very durable, heat-resistant, kind of can't break it down. Uh, that's one of the reasons why it's uh, been used so much. Um, but the problem with that is that when it gets into your lungs, then it also doesn't break down and causes mm-hmm. continued inflammation uh, and a continued cell damage. And that, of course, uh, can cause cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it can cause a variety of cancers, mesothelioma. So that's kind of the area 
uh, lining of the lungs uh, is the most common one, but it has been linked to other cancers as well. Uh, just your run of the mill lung cancers uh, is one of the biggest. Laryngeal cancers, ovarian cancers, a whole bunch of others have at least some relation. Uh, so, asbestos isn't used as often now as it used to be. Uh, it used to be an in insulation basically in every home, like back before the 1980s. Um, but something that most people don't actually know that it actually hasn't been banned completely uh, until very recently. So 2018 actually was when asbestos was officially banned in Canada. So from like the 1980s till now, it's still been uh, allowed to be imported uh, for use. Uh, so most commonly it's been used in uh, brake pads, uh, in uh, cement piping, um, in like even caulking for like door frames, window frames, uh, that type of thing. Um, so it's still pretty prevalent. Um, these are usually less of a concern than the asbestos that was used in insulation. Um, it doesn't kind of get released into the air as easily, but it can with any kind of manipulation or damage. Um, and uh, yeah, it took quite a while for that to be banned in kind of exports uh, as well as uh, imports. Um, there are also a few exceptions to that still. So it's still actually used in uh, nuclear facilities, in uh, industry, so uh, chloroalkalis, uh, so basically making chlorine um, for like pools, for instance, or like sodium hydroxide. Um, so it still has some uh, approved uses now, um, which for the consumer, generally doesn't have any uh, effects, but at least workers in those industries uh, still get asbestos exposure, unfortunately. Wow, that's actually... Okay, I, I think we're sounding starting to sound like a broken record and a lot of doom and gloom here, but I was thinking, <laughs> that sounds frightening. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I, I, I certainly don't want us to take away from the importance of this. And I think there's also a lot of, um, thank you for that information, Dr. Young, because uh, I think that there's a lot of education piece that kind of goes behind this in terms of um, reassuring the listeners too that there there have been there's obviously red flags raised about this. So there have been movements within um, within governments to actually, you know, like ban the use of this. So 2018 is actually pretty recent, but, you know, going forward, hopefully is not, is going to be less and less of an issue. It's still going to be prevalent in some industries and stuff, but it's still way less than you having it all over your home. So yeah. thank you for that information. Okay. I wanted to ask you next. So you were mentioning about the mesothelioma from the asbestos, but going back into radon-induced lung cancer, what specifically, like what kind of lung cancer does it actually cause? There's different stages, there's different types. Can you go into that in more detail, please? Oh, yeah, of course. So, uh, yeah, uh, radon-induced lung cancers are pretty similar to others, um, I guess, it makes most sense to compare it to smoking, the kind of other most prevalent uh, cause of lung cancer. So um, smoking uh, generally causes higher risks of what we call uh, small cell lung cancers. So um, maybe I should start a little earlier. So 
kind of two main types of lung cancer. There's the small cell type and non-small cell type, so pretty easy there. Um, small cells are much worse uh, in general, uh, much lower cure rates, much more aggressive, grow much faster, and smoking is kind of the uh, most associated with that. Uh, radon uh, does have a little higher risk of causing small cells and non-small cell lung cancers, um, but uh, it's not by a huge margin. It kind of increases all lung cancers relatively equivalently uh, versus smoking, which is much more small cells, um, more squamous cells, which is a subdivision um, of non-small cells. Um, but it's... Uh, at least a little different in terms of the types that can cause. Once you actually get the lung cancer, though, it's exactly the same. You, you can't tell where it's from. Okay. And can you tell us then, based on the types of, well, radon-induced lung cancer that you, you see in your patient population, what is the prognosis generally like? Yeah. So uh, like I said, once you get lung cancer, you get lung cancer. So um, prognosis for all of them once you get them are uh, about the same. Uh, their, uh, lung cancer is a bad cancer to get uh, kind of overall. So it very much depends on when you catch it. Um, so if you catch your lung cancer early, if it's kind of what we call an earlier stage, uh, then outcomes are, uh, again, much better. Uh, if you catch it later, it's worse. So just kind of for example, um, if you catch it as uh, an early stage where you're able to kind of do surgery uh, to remove the lung cancer, we're talking about 40 to 60% uh, cure rates there. Still not great, but uh, reasonable. Um, if it's a higher stage, so stage four is kind of the worst, then we're talking uh, much, much less. Um, so at least historically, we're, we're talking about a, a year, a year and a half um, uh, uh, survivals uh, with that. Basically, no cure rates at all. Um, there's been some advances in lung cancer, which we won't get into now, but uh, median survivals, we still don't say cure rates at all for metastatic uh, stage four lung cancer, but um, median survivals are uh, about two years uh, at this point, so still pretty bad. Oh, wow. Like, are there any particular symptoms that people should go get tested or get diagnosed so that like, we can detect it a little bit earlier? Yeah. So uh, again, unfortunately, uh, lung cancer is a, a bad one. So in terms of detection, uh, if you're just going by symptoms, the vast majority, uh, by the time you have symptoms, you're too late. Um, but uh, just things to watch out for, of course, is, is if you're having kind of a new cough, if you're coughing up any blood, uh, those are concerning things. If you're losing weight, uh, just kind of getting less energy, uh, of course, unintentional weight loss, uh, then those are kind of the, the main signs. Um, uh, just to, uh, I guess, mention now, there are kind of screening uh, strategies for lung cancer, though. Um, this is only for smokers, um, but uh, for people who have been smoking for a while, um, there's a few different criteria for it of how much smoking, uh, but 
uh, at least uh, the data shows that uh, annual screening with uh, low dose CT scans is quite uh, beneficial. So um, anyone who's a current smoker or kind of a long-term smoker should be getting kind of annual uh, uh, low dose uh, CT scans uh, to help detect these cancers at much earlier uh, uh, stages and therefore more curable. Hmm, interesting. What about uh, secondhand smoke? Like, what is the, I guess, uh, likelihood of developing lung cancer um, oh, yeah. for that? So, yep, very good questions there. So, uh, yep, secondhand smoke, the exact degree that it uh, affects rates of lung cancer are uh, a little bit vague just because there's a lot of overlap there. Um, it's hard to kind of measure exactly. Um, but it seems that uh, if you are constantly exposed to secondhand smoke, so basically like living in the home with a smoker, your rates of lung cancer are increased by like 20 to 30%. So still wow. uh, fairly significant. That's actually yeah. way higher than I thought it would be. Can you actually tell, though, you were mentioning that it's when you have lung cancer, you have lung cancer. So how do we actually know that when when we're saying radon-induced lung cancer, that it's actually from radon versus something else like secondhand smoke or another exposure? Yeah, so it is incredibly hard to know what is from what. Um, everything, kind of all our statistics uh, data from it uh, is basically kind of on a population level. So kind of comparing uh, people who are in homes with higher radon versus those with lower radon and like controlling for smoking and all that, and therefore seeing kind of the rates. Uh, so for any individual person, you can't really tell. Um, this is all kind of based on big population uh, uh, data. Hmm. Good to know. Um, so going back to radon, like, can we, I, I know we talked about how it comes, like, from, from the soil. Um, can we find it anywhere else that occurs, either naturally or, or kind of unnaturally? Yeah, so it is all mainly kind of natural sources. Like, okay. radon is a natural, uh, I guess, byproduct of uranium as it gets degraded. And all of that, at least for most people's uh, exposure, are is from nature, so uh, from basically the ground, from uh, soil, from bedrock. So more exposure to that, uh, again, through housing, because you're concentrating that to radon. Um, or if you're, as I think I mentioned before, like miners uh, in mines who are surrounded by the stuff, um, those are kind of your highest risks. I just want to make a comment there that um, so... If my exposure is always there in, uh, no matter what building I'm in, there's the potential that there's radon there. And then if I if I go outside, I'm going to get hit with cosmic rays, and I might not be using enough sunscreen. So I I think that there's no there's no winning here. I I, I better just you know put a tinfoil hat and uh, wrap my body with <laughs> live in a bubble. Here. Yeah, yeah Valerie, exactly. I thought you, I thought you already lived under a rock, but. Oh, this is true. Yeah. yeah. So my radon exposure is actually much higher because I'm. I know, right? Yeah. Like, actually, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. So yeah, everything has a certain level of risk there. Uh, as I uh, kind of mentioned, the radon uh, radiation is by far higher than uh, like cosmic radiation. And if you have sunscreen, then 
UV radiation isn't a, a huge deal either. You do need your vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, of mm-hmm. course. Um, so it's all about risk mitigation. Nothing is risk-free in life. So we just have to minimize the risks we can. Like, I was just wondering, like, I don't know if you heard about this. Like, I was reading some articles that apparently in, um, I don't know, Germany, Australia, where people are like basking in radon radiation bathing. Now, is the amount of exposure through skin contact is um, any different than inhaling the radon? Like in terms of the consequences of it? So still not good. I actually have not heard of that. Uh, I'm not sure why they're doing that, uh, to be honest. Um, Do you have more context there? Well, apparently um, people, it's all anecdotal evidence, right? And the people are just saying that um, radon has some pain-killing property. Um, They're using it for like anti-inflammatory for chronic um, arthritis. Some people believe it can lower your cholesterol, even curing infertilities and other ailments. Mm. But it's all anecdotal, right? And some people say that potentially radon could also be used as a a cancer treatment. Have you ever heard of that? (laughs) So, yeah, it's... uh, So I I can say this may be kind of extrapolations from other data, which often is the case for kind of these uh, non-standard medical treatments. So radiation uh, is a kind of pretty standard treatment for uh, cancers uh, in general. You give high-dose radiation to where your tumor is, and it kills off a bunch of the tumor cells, does a lot of damage to your normal cells as well, but they generally recover. Um, so that's maybe how this kind of all started. Um, so if you technically give high enough doses of uh, radon radiation, just like any other radiation, you could be killing off some uh, cancer cells too, um, but you have to weigh that with the damage that you do to the rest of your body uh, with radiation. And if you're not kind of aiming it directly at your cancer, you, you're going to be causing more damage than benefit, uh, I would say. Uh, so it doesn't seem like a safe treatment in my uh, estimations. Uh, at least. Um, the damage from uh, exposure like to the skin versus inhaling, of course, is going to be less um, since having it inside you is generally worse, but you're still uh, causing some radiation uh, damage uh, that way. Uh, so increased rates of likely skin cancer would be the main concern there. Yeah, it's like people do crazy things nowadays. um, But thanks for providing that expert opinion. So hopefully, you know, with more data, people will, you know, take that into consideration and limit the exposure to um, all this radon spa and all that. Anne is very, uh, she's a very financially savvy person. So I think she's going to cross off opening a radon spa <laughs> off of her list of potential um, entrepreneur endeavors. Oh, so thank goodness. We, <laughs> we did mention in the beginning that this is something, radon is something that we can actually protect ourselves from. And we talked a little bit, or we, we promised that we would talk about how we could actually take steps to protect ourselves from this. And 
this might involve testing. So can you give us some information, Dr. Young, about how we can actually protect ourselves and what this testing actually is about? Oh, yeah, of course. So uh, testing-wise, um, everyone who has a home uh, should really uh, test a uh, your home for radon. And so there are uh, lots of kind of do-it-yourself uh, radon testing kits out there. You can also hire someone to test it for you, but the kits work fairly well. Uh, the most important thing is that uh, you need to get the long-acting uh, uh, test kits. So the ones that you buy this little device, usually like a little disc type thing. Um, you put it in your uh, basement uh, or the lowest level of your home uh, anyway, and you'd leave it there for at minimum of three months. Um, it kind of slowly uh, records the average amount of uh, radon uh, radiation uh, that's uh, in your home, uh, averaged over that three months or so, and then you send it in and spits out uh, how much radon is in your home. So according to Health Canada guidelines, uh, if it's at 200 becquerels um, or higher, you need to do something about it. Um, I would argue we should be going by the WHO uh, guidelines and uh, having our cutoff at 100 uh, becquerels uh, per meter cubed. Um, but whichever level you pick, um, there's a few strategies you can do to help reduce uh, that rate of radon. So uh, since this is all from uh, the ground, uh, basically, so kind of uh, air gases seeping from the ground to the rest of your house, uh, the main strategies are to divert that air somewhere else, so outside of the home instead. Uh, so there's all these kind of mechanisms like uh, sub-slab depressurization. Um, the long story short of it is what they do is they put in piping uh, underneath your foundation of the home and have a fan in that piping to create negative pressure, bringing all the air from the ground soil area under your home, and they have a uh, pipe that leads outside your home so it can be released into the outsides and get diluted and not be a problem. Um, these strategies generally decrease your rates of radon in the house by like about 80%. So usually that's uh, enough to uh, mitigate most of that risk. It's, it's funny how like, you know, radons can cause a lot of um you know, lung cancer, which is like a quite a bit of a big burden in a healthcare system. I'm just surprised that, um, you know, Health Canada is not making this like a mandatory process doing like a buying a house, especially, you know, new bill and all that stuff, right? Especially yeah. since it's costing Canada so much in terms of um, money for the healthcare system. But yeah, I've yeah. never heard of any transactions where like until today, I've never heard of anything about radons or radon testing in your house. Which is yeah. crazy, considering it's it's more lethal than secondhand smoke, pretty much. Yeah, I think yeah. they are starting to uh, kind of create more awareness of it. I remember I was telling Valerie a few months ago I got a postcard 
in the mail from Health Canada that does talk about radon testing and how they recommend it. I now. certainly didn't get that postcard. Oh, I don't, sorry. They probably just want to save you, Cecilia. Yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> they're like, yeah. They're just gro- going through the list. Hmm, who would yeah. I want to send this postcard to? Right, Cecilia. She, she's at high risk of yeah. radon damage. Definitely yeah. skip over Valerie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe Anne. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. But I think you're right, Anne. Like when you say that, um, you know, it's, it's more of a new thing. Like I've only heard of it within the last year as well, so... I wanted to also just put put something out there that when when I was doing a little bit of research on radon within Alberta itself, uh, there has been push in I guess the the construction code for for homes that starting in November first of twenty fifteen, all homes actually have to have a rough in for the radon mitigation systems. So that's actually good to know. Um, you your should your home should have it if you live in Alberta. Um, Health Canada also said that they wanted to um, implement something like similar to this across across the nation, but I I don't think that that has actually caught up quite yet. Yeah, like uh, it's definitely a, a step, and there's a lot of well, mainly coming from uh, physicians and public health uh, groups, but uh, big push on making sure that kind of all new homes should even just have a full uh, radon mitigation uh, system set up. So having those kind of depressurization uh, systems uh, already in every new home, uh, it's kind of notable and we we don't actually know the cause of it, but radon levels in homes have been increasing in in Canada uh, these past a few decades, uh, actually, uh, which is unusual because we're not seeing that in really other countries uh, very much. Uh, we don't know the exact reasons why. Like newer homes have much higher rates, also. So uh, this is actually becoming more of an issue uh, lately. And we, I think, the government and people in general do need to pay more attention to it. Right. And I'm yeah, hearing too, out. though, that the construction, the newer constructions are actually built very airtight, right? So that actually accum- allows the chance for radon gas to actually accumulate in in the, in the small spaces versus uh, we actually had a friend who recently bought her place and her realtor was actually saying that if you live in a bungalow um, that was built in, you know, um, I guess, Seventies, eighties, nineties—that sort of thing. Um, the radon exposure is probably going to be lower usually because they're they're not built as airtight. So there's a little bit more airflow for the radon for the radon to actually um, dilute, I guess, uh, to the outside environment. It's very interesting to note. I actually we like I actually heard the opposite. So according to some of the research, they say that bungalow, because you know how a new build, um, some of the basement is not furnished, like, you know, finished. And so it's not quite developed. So there's more radon like getting into your house and because of better insulation. So it's harder for it to escape. And apparently, according to them, like the bungalow is the king of radon. And you don't see so much in condo and apartment, especially when you live a little bit higher. But bungalow apparently is like something to be aware of hmm, so interesting yeah questionable but i mean ideally we want health Canada to step up and make it mandatory um you know just so that people can actually put in this system device to kind of detect radon instead of just um having the ability to do it but doesn't have to put it in um you know so people could you know be more aware of um 
you know, how much level of radon exposure and and things to mitigate that. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter, like, um, like, like what kind of home you have, right? Or like how old it's been built. I guess the only way you would know is to test it and get one of those tests. Um, did you guys come across like how much it costs to uh, like get a, a radon test, uh, like a long term one? Okay, so I I did do a little bit of research about that. So it it really depends on who you're asking or where you're going from. But generally speaking, you can get radon testing kits anywhere between $25 to $75. And when I called around, um, you know, the average running price usually is around like $60, $65 range. Okay. This is for the long-term testing kits where you're you're putting it into your home for, for 91 days. That's really cheap, That's actually. Yeah, yeah. To kind of yeah, mitigate we'll talk your about risk. Costs. Yeah, we'll talk about costs in, in a little bit later. But um, I just wanted to circle back into talking about the, the medical aspect of this radon-induced lung cancer. And we know now that testing is ultra important. That's really the only way that you'll be able to know where your house sits in terms of the radon level and how, how soon you actually need to take action on this, depending on what that Becquerel reading comes back to be. But Kelvin, I'm going to just call you Kelvin from here yep. on out since you uh, gave us your express permission. Thank you very yes. much for that. You Can do. you talk about whether there are risk factors that might bump up one's risk for developing radon-induced lung cancer? Yeah, so um, just kind of focus on radon there first. So as with all exposures, the more exposed you are, the, the higher the risk. Um, so the exact level of radon um, that you're exposed to uh, increases your risk, uh, obviously. Um, from studies, uh, it's about every uh, 100 becquerel increase uh, uh, of exposure that you have, your risk of uh, lung cancer goes up by uh, another 16%. Um, that's relatively constant for uh, all levels. Of course, if you get to the really high levels, that starts to shoot up a lot more. Um, how long you're exposed to the radon, of course, is also the other factor of that. Um, usually takes, uh, at least according to studies, about 5 to 25 years of exposure uh, to really uh, start your, uh, for a lung cancer to basically form uh, from radon exposure and from uh, your length of exposure there. Um, the most important uh, contributing factor though is, as we've talked about a, a few times already, is smoking. So uh, smoking on its own increases your rate of lung cancer, but uh, smoking plus radon increases it much more. So um, for different levels of smoking and radon exposure, it's all slightly different, but basically whatever your risk of uh, Lung cancer from radon is, uh, with whatever dosing or exposure you have, if you're a smoker, it increases by about five times to ten times higher. So hmm. uh, bottom line is definitely don't smoke. And then second thing is get your house tested for radon. Mm. It's like playing Russian roulette if you have a combination of both here. Oh, yeah. I definitely read, uh, this was as per Health Canada publications on that 
probably on one of those lovely postcards that Cecilia got and uh, how Health Canada decided um, choicely to skip me. Yeah, <laughs> don't be, don't be bitter. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Wait, just you stop young, did you but get one? I did not get anything. <gasps> oh, oh. Okay, okay. Cecilia's a chosen one. Yeah, you're going to take the human race forward I, I here. Think, uh, I think it's a sign I really need to go buy uh, kit. <laughs> So I was reading, though, that high rate on exposure for a non-smoker, your lifetime risk of developing lung cancer is one in 20. But then if you're a smoker and you're exposed to high rate on, then that is actually increased insanely from one to 20 to one in three. So, wow. Yeah, that's... uh, I wish that was my lotto. Um, oh my gosh! Favor, in my, my favorite. <laughs> me too. Seventy million. One in three. Sign me up. For Sorry, sure. Go back. <laughs> so we we already talked about places in in Canada that actually have higher rates of radon, and you kind of gave a percentage too for the the number of affected homes that's that's estimated to have to be over that 200 national limit. Can you comment about, all right, so what if now we got our radon test results back from the lab? Now we have our Becquerel reading. What do we do with this? Can you comment on the exposure over how much or over how long would be considered dangerous? How soon do we actually need to take action? Yeah, so I'd say right away, like, Health Canada does have kind of specific guidelines on like how quickly you, know, you should change things. So if you're away from like 200 to 800 becquerels, um, you can make the change like within uh, the next like one to two years. If it's higher, you should do it like within a year or something like that. But basically, more exposure is always worse. Uh, I'd say just get things changed as soon as you can if you. Uh, get a reading higher than 200 and firstly even higher than 100 uh, I would say we should get things going in the next couple years like by getting things going like what do people nope. uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit for yeah us? so those uh radon mitigation strategies so uh like I said the biggest one um, I, it all kind of somewhat depends on your house situation um but uh, depressurization systems. Um, if you have like uh, sub uh, slab uh, foundation, there's like an active sub slab depressurization. There's uh, sump hole depressurization systems. If you have like a sump pump, uh, so uh, there's a few strategies that are uh, around that can. Uh, decrease the amount of radon that kind of gets into your home. And all of them kind of involve drilling a hole through your foundation, um, having piping that leads from that hole uh, outside the house, and having a fan to just create negative pressure to move all of that uh, air, which is contaminated with radon, somewhere outside your house where it won't cause troubles. Um, So there's a number of ways to do that all depending on kind of how your foundation is, is laid. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's good to know. So essentially we need to call in some experts, some certified um, radon mitigation experts to, to come in and actually do an assessment on the house 
And then based on that, they'll be able to provide you with a more accurate quote for what's actually involved with with um, where they need to drill um, into the foundations lab and where they're going to start venting it, whether it's like through the side of the house or if it's, you know, a pipe that extends from the foundation in the basement all the way up through the roof. Uh, so things of, of that nature. So really only a radon expert would be able to, uh, mitigation expert would be able to to comment further on that. Pretty, pretty much. Um, oh, there's a few other small things like that's kind of the main thing to do, but depending on how the radon is getting into your house specifically, um, there's uh, things you can do there. It's like we were saying, a lot of it comes through kind of cracks in your foundation. So kind of sealing the cracks uh, in your foundation can help reduce that. Um, there's kind of some houses which still have like crawl spaces in there, uh, which don't have any real division between uh, the ground and the rest of your house, um, those can be uh, kind of sealed up uh, as well. So there are kind of smaller things that can be done, um, but usually everything needs some sort of depressurization system. And like you said, you kind of have to call in the experts to see what's uh, what needs to be done. It's probably going to cost like thousands That's of dollars. That's true. And I feel like they right. would be able to do a better assessment to 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 look at the caulking and, and the ceiling around the house and to make those recommendations. It might not necessarily be them. That's the one that's stealing it. Maybe that's outsourced to a different contractor, but I think they might be able to lend a hand to see where um, what what other less expensive, less intrusive ways we can we can use to to uh, to get this under control a little bit. Okay, that was good. I also wanted to point out when we were talking about certified radon specialists, there's actually a national program called the Canadian National Radon Proficiency Program, so CNRPP. Their website, as well as another website called takeactionradon.ca, will provide our listeners with information on where you can actually buy these testing kits that are legitimate. Because really, you can actually buy these testing kits anywhere online uh, by calling people or, or even at some of your, um, your, your local hardware stores um, will we'll have these as well. But if you go on www.takeactiononradon.ca or that CNRPP website that I was talking about definitely does already list a whole bunch of of companies that sell legitimate testing kits. If you wanted to talk to someone about coming in to actually measure the, the radon for you, then you can have that discussion with them. They might be provide be able to provide you with more information about um, about that process as well as other things that you can do in the meantime. And they might be able to recommend some mitigation experts as well. And on that note, there's also a listing of uh, mitigation experts that you can tap into by going into those those uh, accredited, um, reliable sources of uh, information. I am going to change gears a little bit. It definitely is something that we want to stress to our listeners that if you do test and your radon levels in your home are actually high, it's not a, ma a minor renovation that a weekend warrior can actually do. 
So it's something that you definitely need to get um, some some help with uh, by hiring hiring that out. There's also yeah. some a line of uh, testing. It's not really a testing kit, but there's a product called Air Things. And that's actually the company name is called Air Things. That's what their product line name is, where they actually provide you with an electronic reading. It can be actually programmed for short term or long term. It's small and portable, so you can move it to different rooms around your house to get different testings. And that retails in price around $200 to $300, depending on if you're just getting one that detects specifically for radon. There is also another one that will, a variation that's more deluxe, I guess. And the upper range of that quote that I just gave, that will also test on other air quality things like carbon monoxide, for example. And long-term radon detectors are the most commonly used in Canada. So that's the the little disc shape um, apparatus that Kelvin was mentioning earlier. And that's where you would stick it somewhere in your home, usually the lowest level in your home in an area where you spend four hours or more usually. And that by long-term definition means that you want to keep it there for 91 days after that you would send it off to the lab for analysis and await for your test results. Do you know how long it usually takes to get uh, the results after you send it in? Right. So usually it would take about seven to 10 days, but on company websites, you can see quotes for, you know, anywhere as long as up to three to four weeks. But I think it just really depends. Um, A lot of the sites that offer these uh, radon testing kits, you if you go on um, that take action on radon website that I talked about, they also will list which ones have a uh, lab analysis included as part of that, the cost of the testing kit itself. And I think I'm, I'm pretty sure when I glanced at it, all of all of the companies actually have it complimentary built in to the price. And a lot of them all also have mailing labels that are included. Um, but you might want to double check if you if you if you care that much um, about it. So I guess if if sometimes cost might be a concern, and there might be one company that actually offers free um, courier that's on top of that versus another company that that might not. So you might want to just do a little bit of calling around to to um, double check whether what's in the fine print, I guess, for if they include that or not. But honestly, I think that for $15 that it would require to ship it off to the lab, it's, that's well worth the price. Yes, Um, especially. Yep. Yep. When you're talking about your health. Yeah. And long-term risks and all that. So yeah. Right. Um, Great. I think that was a really good summary. I guess, um, Kelvin, can you talk about uh, like if you do get radon-induced lung cancer, um, what are some, like what what are the treatment options and kind of just briefly go over what that would be, uh, I guess, what that would encompass? Yeah, of course. So uh, this could be a whole uh, podcast episode on its own, but I'll kind of summarize things quickly. Um, so as I think I mentioned a bit before, uh, treatments depend on what stage of uh, lung cancer you have. So if you're lucky and you catch your lung cancer early, um, if it's still kind of localized to one area of the lung or only move to 
kind of the closest uh, lymph nodes, which are kind of the first place cancer generally goes to, uh, then you can uh, do a surgery uh, to basically uh, cut out the cancer. And again, depending on certain factors, um, you'd get uh, chemotherapy afterward. So that would be uh, usually uh, drugs uh, that go through the IV uh, that help kill off the cancer and help ensure that cancer doesn't come back. Um, if the cancer is too far gone where they can't get kind of a full resection with surgery, then you'd get chemotherapy uh, plus uh, radiation, uh, which we also talked about. So that's kind of focused beams of high-dose radiation to kill off the cancer cells uh, in combination with the IV uh, medications uh, to kill off the cancer as well. Um, uh, if this is kind of too far gone and we can't localize all the cancer and shoot it with radiation and chemotherapy, then your options are primarily just the chemotherapy, so just medications, um, drugs that help fight off the cancer and help uh, shrink things, help hold things at bay, um, at least for some amount of time. Um, the kind of newest things that have been going on with lung cancer though and cancer in general, um, I'll again try to make this a brief interlude, um, is that besides kind of our standard chemotherapies, we have these new drugs called uh, immunotherapies. So basically drugs that help uh, stimulate your body's own immune system uh, to help uh, target and fight off the cancer. That has actually become our main treatment for stage four, so metastatic uh, lung cancers, uh, and has been showing pretty good success. Uh, if you're positive for kind of a certain marker, um, that indicates that you're more susceptible, uh, you're more susceptible to response from these immunotherapies than uh, about 35% uh, of those patients uh, are actually living up to five years. Like I said, the average survivals are uh, about two, two and a half years, um, but a good percentage with immunotherapies are, are living quite a bit longer. We do have that for kind of that middle of the road, getting chemotherapy radiation group as well, and those new studies using it for the kind of earlier stages, uh, resected lung cancers too, although that's all still pretty new information. Um, but yeah, treatments are getting quite interesting and getting better uh, as we go on. Thank you. Yeah, that's really good to know that there's lots of uh, treatment options out there and there's obviously uh, still lots of research being done into this. Um, so thank you for, for that. Um, I just wanted to make sure we cover everything in, in this um, in this episode. Um, we, we've covered a lot of information already, but just wanted to make sure we do have everything here. So I just wanted to point out, um, you know, about the short-term versus the long-term measurements. We, we had kind of, uh, kind of briefly alluded to this before. So uh, again, as um, Calvin and Valerie had mentioned, uh, we should always go with the long-term measurements if we're testing for radon. But um, for the short-term uh, measurements, we should only be using that for fast measurements of radon concentrations. So for example, if you just wanted to check if uh, mitigation system System that uh, that you had installed is is working, then that would be something that you would use the short term measurements for, um, and then uh, we should we shouldn't. Um 
use these as a final measurement because there's fluctuations of radon concentrations in the day. Also depends on the time of year, et cetera, as well. So, you know, this could be fossilly low or high if you're just looking at short-term measurements. So just wanted to make sure that you always, um, you know, that you, the bottom line is that you always go with the long-term measurements in the same location. Is there a particular test kit or company that you would recommend, Dr. Young? Oh, yeah. So, uh, as was said, um, anything certified by the Canadian National Radon Proficiency Program should be fine. Um, but just doing my own little research on this, um, the AccuStar Alpha Track Test Kit uh, has been uh, selected by Consumer Reports to be kind of the top radon test kit. So I'd say that would be a fair one to use. Yeah, and if your next question is, how much does it mitigate or reduce your exposure to radon after doing all this? Well, installation of radon mitigation device can actually lower your radon levels by 80 to 91%. Right, and then for the cost of mitigation, so we already talked about, we talked about the testing, so let's talk about the actual cost of mitigation systems. Um where I was talking about, make sure that you're actually double checking that you're talking to a professional that's been certified under the Canadian National Radon Proficiency Program. So that's very important. Another thing is that when it comes to the actual quotes of the cost itself, I've been told anywhere between $1,600 to $2,000 on average. But in speaking with, you know, real life um, reports for how much it actually ended up costing them, it's usually maybe upwards to around three to $4,000. So that's about, you know, the cost of how much it would cost for a midsize um, air conditioning installation. So just be cognizant or aware of that fact. Um, you definitely want to still test because you you should want you you do want to do everything that you can or you should to to reduce this. But maybe factor that in your budget as well because it is not a small expense. But it's it's also not a it's a good investment if you have um if you for yourself and you know especially if you have family for just the three to four thousand dollars. I mean if you're if you're willing to buy an air condition, um, install that, then I I think that for your own comfort for, you know, for right now, then investing three to $4,000 for your very long term health so that you'll be around in 25 years time, I think it's definitely worth considering. But um, the the variation in the quotes, it really just all depends on the layout of the house to determine where the source of the leaks actually are, what can be done about it. Maybe they have to actually drill more than one hole. So all of that requires the, the experts to actually come in to make that assessment. But typically speaking, they can actually complete all of this work within a day, actually, maybe eight hours or so. But it's, it's not it's not going to be a long drag dragged on renovation like that goes on for weeks. So that's something that I think uh, listeners will be happy to hear. For sure. That's good to hear. Cost of lung cancer treatment is much, much more expensive than that. For sure. Especially with inflation. Oh, I just wanted to ask because we we talked about uh, you know how awareness of this is not that great, and you know it's it's kind of more a new novel area that uh, is kind of getting more awareness of this. Uh, Calvin, can you can you talk about how we can improve awareness of radon and you know about uh, things we could do? Yeah, so well, more podcasts like this would be helpful. So thank you <laughs> for allowing me to get on my soapbox and talk about radon a bit. Um, but yeah. Basically, we need 
everyone, uh, I would say uh, specifically uh, the government to push this as a thing that needs to be uh, checked on and tested. Like lung cancer in general in the media hasn't been a, a huge focus. Um, if you just look at kind of research dollars for types of cancer um, compared to like how many deaths uh, you actually get from cancers, like lung cancer is vastly on the bottom of, of that list um, and uh, could be for various reasons. Uh, there's a lot of association of, oh, you get lung cancer from smoking and these people uh, deserve it, so we don't care too much. Um, but as we said, right on 16% at the very least of lung cancer, so it is an important thing to do. Um, so mainly uh, we, one, just need to get the word out there, let people know, hopefully more people uh, will be getting those uh, little postcards uh, warning that it's something that we should check. Um, but uh, yeah, that should be kind of a nation nationwide push. Uh, there is like Lung Cancer Awareness Month is uh, November. So having something during then would be good. Um, having radon mitigation strategies being standard, uh, as I think I alluded to before, having every new home have these radon mitigation uh, systems already in place uh, when we're looking at some provinces, like 25% of homes have an issue, like why not just put them in everywhere anyway? And this is according to the uh, that 200 uh, Becquerel uh, uh, limit. Um, if we go to the 100, which the WHO recommends, uh, it would be much higher because kind of taking the average for Canada, 7% is the rate uh, of homes which are at the 200 Becquerel mark. If we lower that to 100, that's 25% of homes. So if we look at Manitoba, which was already 25%, it'd be the majority of homes in Manitoba uh, will, will need something. Uh, so uh, pushing the government to kind of force all new homes to do that, uh, I think would be... Uh, something helpful or maybe at least even funding radon testing for uh, everyone too, having uh, cost mitigation strategies as well for people who actually need to have renovations done. Um, uh, all that I think would be helpful. I love that actually. I I think it's a really good idea to just, you're, you're absolutely correct. Why not just build these radon mitigation devices if we know that it's going to be an issue right off the bat and, you know, run it into the construction costs. If there's more demand um, for it, of course, you know, there's going to be potentially supply chain issues. So hopefully there wouldn't be a monopoly on that. However, um, you know, it's kind of like a free market system. So if there's more people that actually require these supplies that are needed for these and Maybe there will be enough competition so that it'll be it'll be kind of like you know some somewhat affordable and um, not uh, hijack the price to and pass it and passing it on to um, homeowners. So that that's actually really great, and I really like your suggestion of um, having the governments for homes that are already built um, create some sort of like a subsidy or some sort of tax break that that could be applied that the homeowners could, could use to apply towards the cost of actually installing these mitigation 
devices. So I I think those are really excellent ideas. Calvin, where can we find out more information about Radon? Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of places. Uh, I'd say the Health Canada website is actually pretty good. Um, uh, they have all those links. Uh, I think uh, a lot of the ones you, you mentioned as well about where to get test kits and all that. Uh, that kind of be the uh, uh, best place uh, in layman's turn to kind of learn about uh, radon and what you can do about it. Okay. Thank you for that. I want to change gears a little bit and get into something that's a little bit more lighthearted since we, I I don't want to give the impression that we're scaring our listeners stiff with all of this information about radon, but it is very important to test. So changing gears for just a second here to kind of get your mind off of radon. Dr. Young is actually a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know you guys are all thinking, what the heck? We just transitioned from radon to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, we did. This happened just now. There is actually this academic group of Buffy fans out there in this world too, in a journal that people can actually submit their like actual like academic papers to. And recently, Kelvin actually submitted a paper to that journal and it actually got accepted. So I just want to say congratulations to you on on that. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. So, congratulations. And yes, I'm sure congrats. we have a lot of follow-up questions. So Cecilia and Anne, do you, do you have anything that you want to ask Dr. Young when it comes to this fascinating so, topic of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? What was the paper like, on? Yeah, great. So thanks for letting me rant about this a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the uh, journal is called Slayage. Um, it uh, publishes, uh, I believe, every quarter uh, and yep, just has papers on anything related to uh, Buffy and that shared universe. Uh, so stuff on the actual lore of the uh, show itself, uh, stuff on kind of the metaphysical aspects of it, stuff on the philosophy uh, of uh, the show that is being espoused. Um, so <laughs> lots of uh, stuff. A lot of and, topics there, just a wide yeah, attachment on anything, hey? Very much. Um, my paper, which I wrote with a, a friend of mine, uh, was specifically on the kind of physiological aspects of uh, vampires and vampirism. So basically trying to explain how vampires are uh, created and how they function in a as realistic uh, of a setting as possible. So kind of explaining it not through just magic, but just through pure physiology. Uh, and uh, it's it was a fun uh, detour from my normal doom and gloom <laughs> about radon and getting people to stop smoking. So. And you're highly qualified to, to comment about that as a medical oncologist, and you had to go through internal medicine training to even get to that stage, right? So that, yeah. that totally makes perfect sense that you'd be able to, that this would be the area that you own, the physiological aspects of the creation and uh, existence of vampires. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I so does vampire exist? <laughs> or could so it? Or could it? <laughs> well, possibly. <laughs> if you have the, the right uh, genetic manipulations, we're, we're getting pretty far in gene uh, splicing, so uh, we can potentially do something like that. And live forever, I guess. Yeah. 
But is it even on TV nowadays, Buffy the Vampire? Yep. So plugging for Disney Plus. So please <laughs> give us your money, Disney Plus. Um, it is currently available streaming. Uh, Disney Plus, uh, Buffy, and uh, its spinoff Angel are available there. So for all interested viewers, um, you can go there to watch it or buy the DVDs like I have. <laughs> Oh wow! I like. I thought it was like decades ago. I'm old, but I didn't know that. Um, it was old. decades ago, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> it, it actually was. Old. I was like, I know this show. Like what? <laughs> and you know a Quite lot a of lot. shows. Come on. <laughs> Unfortunately, I spent a lot of my time on TV. But um, yeah, I mean, how did you get uh, into Buffy in the first place? Okay. Well, that's a long story as well but uh just to kind of keep things short um so dating myself for age but um i was basically preteen teen during uh when buffy came out um i'll say i was and am a nerd so i <laughs> did not uh, and hey nothing have... wrong with that i think <laughs> yeah. we kind, kind of all are here in this this podcast yeah, so fair. welcome this is why we're doing this yeah <laughs> that's fair enough so did not have many friends um and most of my social socialization and entertainment came from watching tv <laughs> and that's where i found uh buffy and it's been off angel and basically learned how to human from watching uh, that my uh kind of general outlook on life i even uh, not to put too much of a emphasis on it but i think a lot of my own morality and ethics are from uh, uh, that show as well so how i conduct mm -hmm. my life i think comes a lot from there there's there's a lot of good yeah uh morals I, I would say you can get from the show um, plugging a few other things so if you've ever seen uh, uh john oliver's uh, uh show uh what was it uh last week tonight um he was kind of interviewing a uh oh, this kind of topical um a russian lady um kind of uh helping to promote uh, LGBT uh, rights uh, in Russia, and that, that's of course a difficult thing to do. Um, so he was interviewing her and asked her what her kind of motivation was to do all this. And very topically, um, she quoted Buffy uh, mm. as her motivation. Um, her uh, quote, technically from the spinoff Angel, was if nothing you do matters, all that matters is what you do. Yeah. So basically oh. saying that like, even if there's no higher purpose or God or mm -hmm. whatever to believe in, like that doesn't mean things aren't important because oh my gosh. that's all that's important. That really that's speaks a great to me. Quote. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'm glad to hear, and this is, you know, this, Ladies and gentlemen, we are hearing a very, very critical f part that played into this Dr. Kelvin Young, his life <laughs> basically <laughs> shaped and impacted him on a fundamental level on his outlook on life and his morals. So that is saying something. I think Disney Plus is going to get an insurgence of all of these uh, 
viewers that are actually checking out Buffy now. So you definitely sold me on that. After our podcast, we're going to have a surge in radon testing and Buffy watching. So yeah, dual purpose I, I tried to time it such that I bought my testing kits beforehand, but I have not done that yet. But yes, I Go totally agree now. with that. What final messages do you want to share about radon or maybe Buffy in general? Yeah, so yep, yeah, uh, just want to say yeah, thanks for allowing me to come on your podcast. There, uh, this is an uh, important uh, topic. Uh, prevention is worth ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, or however they say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this will, uh, even from a pure cost analysis, uh, is helpful for. Uh, society and the healthcare system, uh, which is, of course, quite overloaded (laughs) at this point. Um, Yeah, so main things to get by. One, test your radon (laughs) levels. Um, If you have a home at all, it is important. Uh, You will be saving yourself a lot of troubles uh, down the line with it. Uh, Testing itself is pretty cheap uh, as well. don't smoke, as always, and boycott and vote for, can I be political on here? For whatever <laughs> yeah, party no, will free. promote uh, more public health measures to help prevent illnesses ahead of time. And watch Buffy. Great message. Thank you. <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to faint when you see Sarah Mastro Gallo, hey? <laughs> yeah. Why, yeah. is she coming real life? Show? Yeah. <laughs> Are we inviting her? Have you arranged this? Ooh, that would be a nice surprise. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Anne has connections. Uh, Okay. Thanks. Well, thanks so much. much. Thank you. This was very informative. All right. So you thought that we were going to let you off the hook. And um, before we do that, though, I just wanted to introduce a a fun little segment after, after the radon and after Buffy. But let's play the five rapid fire questions just to get a sense of, you know, who, who Dr. Kelvin Young is as an individual, as a human being. So are, are you ready for this? Uh, sure. <laughs> All right. I love this. Uh, this this no sense of his voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no hesitation there whatsoever. Okay. First question: Love or friendship? Uh, love. Sure. Mm, romantic guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number two: A night out or a night in? Night in. I'm a nerd. <laughs> we did not go out. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> can watch the Buffy all and uh, work on your, your next papers for that. Number three, expensive presents or homemade presents? Homemade. I am also cheap. Frugal. <laughs> <laughs> frugal. Yeah, we can call it a better, a better name. Yeah. We, all, we exactly. also call ourselves frugal. Yes. Yeah. yes. It's more meaningful anyway. Sure. Number four, call or text? Add text. I- that's what we figured suck. based off of Reduce what you said about your radiation radiation exposure. Yeah, exactly. There you go, Cecilia. Uh, That's correct. All right. Final question number five: Money or happiness? Uh, happiness. Mm. Money is so no way. Happiness. Money <laughs> is the only happiness. <laughs> yes. Excuse me. I want the seventy million. Yeah. <laughs> me but too. I haven't played in a long time. Right. Yeah, it does. <laughs> if it didn't make you happy, it wouldn't be worth it. So it's a means to an end. Means to an end. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, fantastic. That was really good. Uh, 
I always really love doing these five rapid fire questions. Thank you so much for that. And once again, thank you so much, Dr. Kelvin Young, for agreeing to be on our show. We learned so much from you today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. No problem. It was fun being here. Thanks. Thank you so much. Perfect. Ciao. All right, guys. So back to our Stanley Watra story. So Anne, can you give us, do you know what happened to this man who revolutionized the whole talk about radon to begin with? What what happened with him? So if we got your ears up until now, well, apparently as the story goes, in January 1984, Stanley, his wife, and he has two young kids, they were forced, you know, with that 700 times the amount of normal radiations in his house, um, they were forced to vacate their home while technicians, they tore up the basement and installed duck and fan system just to mitigate the radon. And then around July, they told him that he could return home. But unfortunately, the following September, they advised that the concentration of radon in, in his home office was close to now 100 times the upper safe limit. So apparently, there's a lot of talks around and they say that, um, you know, the watchers actually remain in their home for at least another 30 years or so with any, without any notable radon-induced health issues. And apparently, record data shows that he's still alive and voting in Pennsylvania presently. But uh, I don't know how reliable that source is. So don't call me in that. Wow. Thank right, you for that. Right? Happy story. That yeah. Really like he, so yeah. Really who pioneered knows, this knows? thing. He might be a vampire, you know. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. But um, I mean, so. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share this with your family and friends. As we mentioned, this is an underreported topic that needs more attention and awareness. If you have ideas or questions that you want us to explore in future episodes, uh, please send us a direct message through social media. Please do. We love reading uh, reading your ideas and your messages. And as always, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we also do have a Facebook page and an Instagram called It Is Better To Know and a Twitter called Better To Know Pod, P-O-D. And just wanted to say thank you for listening, everyone. And we really hope you uh, get a lot out of this episode and out of our podcast. Here's a plug or a sneak preview of our episode for next month. If you are planning to travel this summer, be sure to tune in to our next episode for sure. It's going to be on Traveler's Diarrhea. See you next time, UK Army. Bye for now. Well, that's the end of our segment. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Since this is a new podcast, and we really want to expand our listeners, to help us do that, we would love for you to take a moment, head to where you listen to our show, and hit subscribe. Thank you for helping us get the word out. We really appreciate it. Curious Music is performed by Bonsai Memo, written by Andrew Southwell and Jimmy Harry. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and should not be taken as medical advice. As every individual is unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.